And then a call from the Giants that night, them basically saying, yeah, we're going to take you in the 11th or 12th round. And then they said the, the number value. Right. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of New York City, this is The Conversation. I'm Tommy Weber. Welcome aboard, everyone, on a beautiful, beautiful, cool, late summer day here in late August. Uh, Pennant races, wild card stuff is heating up. Of course, the Mets uh, become relevant. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about a lot of other stuff. I have a great guest uh, who has come on, a good friend of mine, who uh, right now is with the San Francisco Giants down in Arizona in their minor league system, working his way up. It's his first year of pro ball. We're going to get into that. But first and foremost, I wanted to comment on something that I saw last night. Look, uh, it's no secret that uh, baseball now is uh, in, in a state of flux. And, of course, information and data is what's driving that change. There's no no doubt about it. Uh, the degree to which the information is probative and valuable can be debated all day long, but uh, there's no doubt that uh, the information age has reached uh, baseball. Uh, having said that, um, one of the things that's happened is managers are getting neutered. Fewer and fewer decisions are being made uh, by the seat of their pants or by gut feel and more and more are being made based on what the data says the probability of success is in any given situation. The problem with that is that as the season wears on and the games get more valuable, each game becomes its own season in a sense. The odds are great and the odds are what they are, just like in horse racing or in playing cards in a casino. You know what the odds are, but in order for the odds to work out, you've got to play an awful lot. So um, when you're only playing one hand or you're only running one race or you're only playing one game, which is essentially what a pennant race is, it's a series of one game. You've got to win everyone and everyone that you can. You have to win, especially when you're the Mets and you're looking to grab a wild card spot. And last night was a perfect example of the Mets uh, deferring to, I guess, some data which in the top of the eighth with the game on the line, the most important thing that a manager, in my opinion, can do and why you pay a manager and why a manager is extremely valuable, irrespective of all the data and all the information you may have, is you pay that manager to sense when the game is on the line. And the game is not always on the line in the ninth inning with a three-run lead when you bring in your closer. As a matter of fact, nine times out of ten, most teams are going to get out of that with a victory. A good manager senses the point at which in that ball game, the game hangs in the balance, that this is it. This is the game right here, right now. I hear myself saying it as a coach, and when I managed, I heard myself saying it might be the sixth inning. Hey, this is the ball game because your experience gives you a feel for circumstances. It gives you a feel for context. And last night uh, with the game uh, in the balance uh, with two out and – The Met closer warming up in the bullpen, um, who one would assume, and although he has struggled, 
He is a uh, a guy who can strike people out and get big outs. Instead, you leave a, a tired pitcher in in the top of the eighth to pitch to the Bra- one of the Braves' best young players. And, you know, the baseball gods are funny. Um, you, you do that, and usually you pay the price for it. And the Mets did. Big base hit. Uh, and they go on to lose that game, which is a game essentially that although, in fact, they don't have to have it, it feels like they had to have that game after a heartbreaking loss two nights ago, uh, needing every single game that they can grab to have a game that you had the lead in, you lose the lead, and then you give it up while your best reliever or one of your best relievers is warming up in the bullpen is is a, uh, a, a mortal sin as far as I'm concerned. And I know that that is driven by something other than listening to your gut and sensing when it's time uh, to put the hammer down and get it out. Every out is not created equal. Some outs are way more important than others. And in that game last night, as I watched, that was the most important of the 27 outs that you could possibly get. You have to do everything you possibly can to get that out, irrespective of what any chart, any data, any analytic, or anybody tells you, that's the out the Mets have to have. They didn't get it, and they got swept today. So uh, things do not look good for them right now. Um, shifting gears, having my little summer rant here. Feels good to get that out. Um, Chris Wright is a good friend of mine. Um, came out to the Cape uh, last year, uh, Bryant University, uh, two-way player. There are very few really legit two-way players. A lot of guys think they're two-way players that they can pitch and hit. Uh, almost every pitcher thinks he's a hitter, but there are very few guys that really can be proficient as a hitter. And as a pitcher, and Chris Wright was certainly one of those guys. Um, Chris came out to the Cape um, from a mid-major school, Bryant, um, an excellent school. They do a great job, um, and we'll talk a little bit about their head coach in, in a little while. Um, but really good program. He came fresh uh, off the heels of one of my Mount Rushmore guys, Mickey Gasper, being with us the year before, also a Bryant guy. So he had big shoes to fill, and, and he did so certainly in, in 2018. Um, I remember when Mike Garlotti, who's a friend of mine, came out to, uh, uh, to, to watch the Cape at the end of the year, and he asked me, you know, who are the guys that I don't know that I want to know? And I said, you got to know Chris Wright. This kid is really, really different. Um, he's got that disappearing fastball. I don't know how to explain it, and I don't care to explain it. It's just that guy's swing and miss at his fastball a lot. Uh, he's a area scout with the Colorado Rockies. So um, Chris was drafted in the 12th round, and uh, he's my pal. Chris Wright, welcome aboard. Hey, how's it going, Tommy? All good. I'm doing really well. Um, the weather has changed here. It's not as humid. Uh, doesn't feel like it's a thousand <laughs> degrees. We have the and we have the direct uh, polar opposite of what you have in Arizona, which is a million degrees and bone dry. And in New York, it could be like eighty degrees and feel like it's a hundred and twenty. But um, talk to me a little bit about uh, how it's gone so far this year. Your first year in pro ball, twelfth round pick. Uh, obviously selected as a pitcher. Talk to me about your impressions as this year winds down. Yeah, so um, definitely it was a little bit different for me this season just because, you know, I was closing and playing a position at at Bryant the entire season. And then I kind of came out here into Arizona and they asked me like, hey, do you want to maybe try becoming a starting pitcher? They thought it would be a, a great avenue for me to try and, you know, make my way up and, 
do what they think I could be capable of. And I said, yeah, let's try it. So um, it's been an interesting transition, kind of getting back into the starting mindset, you know, going out there at the beginning of the game instead of the end of the game. Right. Um, and yeah, so they kind of helped ease me into it by having me go every other start. So I started a game and then I would piggyback on the starter for the next game and it just kind of switched back and forth. But, you know, I started off a little slow, giving up some runs early, giving us some hits. And then I started doing a little bit better down the stretch. And so, yeah, it's been pretty good. What, um, what about your first year is the most starkly different with respect to in comparison to how you thought it would be? So I would say they're the high percentage of Latin players. So in college baseball, I mean, it's not a, it's not like a secret. There's a lot of white players or they're all from America for the most part. Absolutely. And then you come out here and there's, you hear a lot of Spanish, you hear all the Spanish music and, you know, that's probably the biggest difference I would say just, and also the style of play out here in Arizona is a lot more like that. It's like a lot of more Latin players. So they play how they would back in, their home country and so that's probably the biggest difference i would say so it's a cultural difference yeah definitely a little bit of culture shock right away right because they're not not only are they they're they're not just spanish speaking they're not americans so it's a different right they come it's one thing if it's a person from america who's a spanish-speaking person talk to us a little bit about the difference basically it's it's a double difference in that they don't speak english and they come from a completely different culture Right. So they're, they continue to learn about our culture. They don't, some of them don't understand yet because they're all young, just got here 18 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so they're starting to kind of learn some of the social cues in America and we try and help them as Americans and natives to the country. We're like, Oh yeah, no, like this is how you kind of do it around here and that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it was a lot easier for me because I know a decent amount of Spanish. I took five years of it in high school, so I think that right. helped me along the way to communicate with them rather than some of the, my other teammates who were drafted this season. They kind of you know, struggle a little bit with that, and I'll, I try and help them out as much as possible. Do you find that the Spanish, uh, well, not the Spanish, but the Latin American player plays a game that's less structured than the American player? Yeah, I would say so. They They come from a different country, and... They don't have the same type of, you know, discipline from coaches that we get here, especially in college baseball. And um, I would say that, yeah, they just kind of go out there and play the game. And they, whereas we kind of are a little bit more advanced in maybe situational, um, like ideas and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. You, you, I, I, I would like to see the college game get a little more Latin just for me, you know, the whole style of it is more of a free play kind of thing than the overcoaching and kind of hovering that a lot of coaches do uh, at the amateur level, yep. even even before college. I mean, we, we have now created a, 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 a culture in baseball that really is everything is structured. We don't get any free play. You don't see kids playing in the street. You don't see kids playing on their own fields. And basically, that's all they do in Latin America. Right. Definitely. So tell me... Um, Let's go back. Let's go back. Um, growing yep. up, uh, outside of your family, uh, who did you watch, see that you said, wow, man, I'm, I love this guy, and this is one of the reasons why I want to play baseball? Um, so 
I would say when I was younger, I was a huge Joe Maurer fan. I just loved the way that he played, and I was a lefty hitter as well. So I swung the bat, just tried to swing like him a little bit. Um, and just like everything that he did was just awesome. It was great. Um, one of the best catchers of all time, obviously. And he was one of the reasons why I really liked sticking with baseball. I wanted to be a catcher when I was younger, but I was a lefty, so that kind of really uh, <laughs> come to fruition. So, um, yeah, I would say he was one of the guys that I watched, and I was like, I want to be just like him when I get older. It's interesting you pick a guy like Mauer because you don't have your demeanors are similar. You know, you're a, a kind of a laid back kind of guy. You're intense, but um, Mauer was a guy who you really. You know, when you looked at Maurer, he sort of had his chin up and um, never embarrassed himself, the team, or the game. And you also are somebody who, um, you know, you can sign your name to your game because you don't ever do anything uh, that will embarrass yourself or the game. Right. Definitely. I I think I definitely probably picked that up from him, watching him when I was little and, you know, just kind of became who I was. So your decision to go to Bryant, what? how did that come about? Actually, that's a pretty funny story. So when I was 11 years old, our coach's son, Sam Owens, who uh, was our catcher this season, he actually came and played on the same AAU team that I did. So I've known Coach Owens since I was 11 years old. So that was definitely a big um, factor in that because he was, oh, he's a Division One baseball coach. Like, oh, I want to go play for him. This is so cool. So that was definitely in my mind right away. And then I just went to the school. And, you know, it was close to home. I got to see it's a beautiful campus, good academic school, small school. I didn't really want to, you know, get to too big of a school. I was a little uh-huh. more reserved. So those were probably the biggest factors in that. And then I went on my visit. I talked with Coach Owens. I talked with the assistant coaches. And, you know, it's history from there. I was like, this is where I want to go. Talk a little bit about Steve Owens. Steve Owens, who was recently named the head coach at Rutgers. I think it's a great hire. I think um, Rutgers really went outside of that kind of um, provincial New Jersey mold that they had been in for far too long. Um, you know, being in the Big Ten, you got to have more of a national presence. And um, I really think that uh, they made a really great hire. Talk to us a little bit about Steve. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It was a great hire. He's a great coach. He knows what he's doing. He loves his players. Um, he's very intense. Loves winning more than anything else in the world. His record um, shows. His record shows that it's an amazing yeah. record. It's incredible. It really is. Yeah. Everywhere it's very he's impressive. been. Yeah, Never had a losing season. Right. There's no arguing. There's no arguing with like a six seventy winning percentage. I mean, that's that's not easy to do, especially especially if you're not at big 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 time schools. You know, you're doing it at mid majors and smaller schools. It's very difficult. Yeah. And, um, you know, he puts in the work every day with uh, the whole team. He, he mostly did the infielders and the, uh, like all the hitters. So he was with, I was with him every single day working on my ground balls and my swing. So uh-huh. I got to talk with him a lot. And, you know, he just, he really knows what he's doing out there. He, he finds ways in order for guys to succeed. And I think that's why he has the success that he does. That's a great quality. That's a great quality coming from a former player. Did Were you um, told when you went to Bryant that you would be a two-way guy? Right. So Bryant was my only two-way offer that I had. Oh, wow. And um, so 
that was a, also a big factor in my decision. Um, but yeah, I was told, you know, you'll pitch, you'll pitch right away. You'll kind of get right into that, not necessarily the starting rotation, but you'll be an important arm right away. And then maybe later on in your career, you might, you know, become a starter at first base or something. And it ended up being pretty much what they said at first. And then I kind of took a backseat on the pitching for the season. So I played first base every day. I was a starting pitcher my freshman year for a couple of weeks, and then went to midweeks, and then came out of the bullpen at the end. Didn't pitch really much at all my sophomore season, and then I became a closer junior year. But as this was going on, I was a, um, the everyday first baseman for freshman through junior year. So it was definitely a little bit of a different ride than what I expected. That's great. That's great. And you were all NEC in both this year, in last year, right? You were both relief pitcher. Yes. And player, right? Yep. That's yep. pretty cool. That's really cool. Now, now, of the offers you had, did they want you to pitch exclusively or play first base exclusively? It was pitch exclusively everywhere. Okay. I figure. Yeah. Well, once they see you throw, you know, it's like they they sort of uh, they discount your your offense and your and your ability to hit, but you're actually an outstanding. Hit. I'm I'm going to go back. Um. So so talk a little bit about. Um, you know, we meet up in the Cape and, and obviously it was, it was evident to us right away, you know, that you were a really, really terrific player and you had a huge upside. And, um, I was, I was actually surprised, you know, that Bryant had so many, you know, I I shouldn't have been because Bryant has a great record, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm like anybody else. I'm, I'm seduced by, you know, the, the power conferences, um, uh, just as much as the next guy, but, um, you guys have so, really a lot, a wealth of talent there. And, um, I, I'm just talk to me about what you think, at least, uh, being in the Cape meant to you, uh, and your career. So being in the Cape, I, I've said it before, being in the Cape changed my entire life, I would say, because that was when I really got to get back into pitching again. You know, like after that sophomore season, I was like, oh, I don't even know if I'm going to be doing this again. I threw 1.1 innings and I was pretty much going out to the Cape mostly as a hitter. They're like, yeah, you can still pitch out here. Like we'll, we'll give you the ball a couple of times. I was like, all right, cool. I keep on doing it. And once I got into that first game out of the bullpen, um, you know, the rest was history. I, I threw well in that first game and then I just kind of kept carrying it over. So I would say that that was a big reason why I was actually able to, be drafted as a pitcher this season. And in the interest of full disclosure, you also had a huge advantage because you got to house with the uh, gold standard of host families, the Athanasulises, who are just amazing <laughs> people. Uh, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about how wonderful they are. The entire family. I mean, uh, how lucky were you to get hooked up with them? Uh, that was awesome. They they took care of uh, me and Brandon Wolf from Stanford in the best way possible to like <laughs> get home. There's dinner that waiting there for you. Um, you know, they would take us out to, you know, go to the beach with the family or, Oh, tonight we're going to have a dinner party because our whole family is living out here for the summer. And, you know, it was just awesome to be with them and I couldn't thank them enough for what they did for me. How great were they? We had a lot of good times at that house, man. That was unbelievable. <laughs> My goodness gracious. What wonderful people. We really blessed you know, to uh, 
to have them in our lives. I consider them dear friends. And um, I know that you guys, you and Brandon were just a perfect fit. I couldn't think of a better match. I know it's by accident because they don't know who you are. They don't know who they're getting, but I couldn't think of a better match than you and Wolf living there, you know, two really high quality guys. You know, they really, they deserve that. They deserve the best guys. And you two guys were two of the best guys. Certainly, we had a lot of laughs. Um, It was awesome. And I'm going to tell you something too, that I think I might've told you, but um, you know, I was so impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm big, as you know. I, I like to look at a guy's makeup and his demeanor and his character and all that too, too. Um, yeah. But um, I believe the way a guy comports himself throughout a season uh, tells you an awful lot about him. Because as you know, on the Cape or or in pro ball, everybody's pretty good. You know, you, you no longer. Uh, it's very hard to really stick out like a sore thumb anymore. Now you're starting to get the cream of the crop and the differences between players are subtle. And sometimes the difference is really not physical, but you know, your mental and emotional makeup and who you are and what kind of guy you are, right? Essentially what kind of guy you are. Um, and I really thought that you, you survived what I, what I thought was a, a difficult test where you went a long time. Uh, in between at bats and, uh, you were a really good hitter and I would love to have seen you hit more. And, um, that was a, that was a real test for you. And the way you handled it was so admirable. Um, I have to say that, that, that to me, more than your pitching and more than your, your, your prowess as a player, uh, to go through that is not easy, especially when you know you should be playing. Um, and the way you handled it, I thought was super, super professional. I really do. And it showed that, you know, you're, you're wise beyond your years and that your parents did a great job in raising you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I definitely was kind of preparing myself for it, especially because, um, our other first baseman at the time, at the beginning of the season had just suffered a minor injury Mm -hmm. of like a hamstring pull or something like that. So, uh, Jesse Franklin. Yep. And, uh, so we really didn't have very <laughs> another option at first base. So I was playing there every day at the beginning and I was like, okay, perfect. And then he came back and coach had told me, you know, we're going to be get trying to get him a lot more at bats since he missed the whole first half. And I was like, all right, that's cool. But then he also said, so this will be basically your chance to get out on the mound. I was like, all right. So I got the best of both worlds in that situation in my head. You know, I got to go out here, show my, my position player assets and then I got to pitch at the end. So in my head, I was like, all right, I got to do whatever I want to out here or what I wanted to out here, I should say. And, um, and just no, ended up working out for me in that way. And no matter what happened, you got to go back to your Thanosulises and basically get like a smorgasbord. <laughs> you get your pick. It was like ordering at a restaurant. It was unbelievable. The spread used to be unbelievable. Yeah. That whole kitchen, that whole kitchen table at, big piece of granite that they have in this middle of their kitchen would be filled with food. I mean, that was just great. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends, Hunter and Braden Bishop, as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. 
And now, back to the show. So talk to me about the draft, right? So uh, it's no secret. Everybody's, you know, anxious about the draft. Where am I going to go? You know, what do the scouts say? And guys are talking to you. And it really is, you know, and I try to tell people this. um, It's really a time of the year when I don't envy the players. You know, we've all gone through it. But it's even worse now because communication is so much better. Um, So, you know, in real time, you're you're reading like your rank and what people say about you and um, what all these publications have to say and where you stand and where they're. So so it's very, very difficult and anxious for everybody, for your family, for you, because obviously the stakes are high. So talk to me about the lead up to the draft. All right. Who, where you think you're going, yep. what kind of feedback you're getting, um, and then the day of the draft and, and, and what ensued. All right, so I was told leading up to the draft I would be a second-day guy, so most likely between rounds three and seven. So I was like, that's awesome, perfect. And that's what I was expecting leading up. And, you know, I was talking to a lot of scouts. It was almost every single day I was getting at least a phone call from one guy or another just – checking in or asking me a couple questions and it was great, you know, talking to all these guys like, wow, all these people want me. This is awesome. All this stuff. And then a couple of days before, even more phone calls are coming in again, asking more questions and checking in again, saying, Hey, we just still want to make sure you want to come out and play professional baseball. And then, so that was that. And then draft day came. Those, by, like, by the way, by the way, right. by the way, yeah. I know you can't say this, but, I, you know, I, I represented Dom this year, you know, in the draft. And they, I used to get those 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 calls too. Like, those are the stupidest phone calls I've ever seen in my life. Th- those questions <laughs> are so moronic. Like, uh, do you still want to play? Like, no. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go work at Home Depot for a while and I'll put off the draft. I, I, I mean, I, like, why are you calling me asking me if my guy still wants to play? I told you last week, yes, he wants to. He, he's going to sign. You know, you give him the right, you make the right deal. He's going to. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 100%. Um, and then draft day came around, and it was, again, a lot of waiting around. You get phone calls saying, like, hey, like, we're thinking about taking you right. in the spot. Oh, God. And, like, it's a lot of stuff that you don't see on the outside of the draft. Right. right. And it, it is very nerve-wracking seeing all these guys' names pop up, and you're not coming up yet, just waiting for a phone call from, yep. Yep. you know, either your advisor or a team or something like that. And um, fortunately for a lot of my teammates from the Cape, they all got to go early and they saw all their names called. And then uh, fortunate enough for me as well, I was pretty early on the third day. So, but yeah, it's definitely really nerve wracking and um, something that you don't really get to see unless you go through it. Where, where were you? What were you doing when you, when you got picked? I mean, did you get a call from the giants and saying, we're taking you? So, Immediately after the day two was over, I had probably 12 phone calls from teams coming in asking me like, Hey, like, again, the same type of thing. You still want to, you know, come out and play like all that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, dude, I want to come play baseball. Like, let's go, you know? And, um, so I had that going on and then, uh, a call from the giants that night, it was, them basically saying, yeah, we're going to take you in the 11th or 12th round. And then they said the the number value. Right. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I kind of 
was had my mind at ease a little bit more than I'm sure most people did at that point, just right. because I, I had someone's like word saying, this is what we're doing. And it was from someone who I had a lot of trust in. I knew uh, this one guy pretty well. And he told me that. So I was like, all right, perfect. Like, this is, this is great. I got this all set in stone and it was just a waiting game at that point. Talk a little bit. Um, tell me and tell everybody listening. Uh, I know in the beginning of the season, you go through basically a little like pitching tutorial where you are not in games. What, how would you categorize that? What, what kind of experience is that, that the giants put you through? Yeah. So we, uh, had all of our draft guys just kind of, you know, take, take it slow this season early on. We waited about a month and a half until we actually got into a game situation. So what we did was we were on a lifting program and we had like a throwing schedule that we were going off of. So we kind of built up our, uh, our throwing over the course of the, over the month or so. And we ended up getting into like, you know, throwing bullpens. It was just like 25 fastballs and that was it. And then it went up to change ups too. And then it went up to all pitches. And then from there we threw to live hitters two separate times through one more bullpen. And then we got into a game and all of that happened over the course of like a month and a half or so, give or take. So you're basically getting up, working out. And if it's your throw day, you're going onto the field, doing what you got to do, getting ready and throwing a bullpen. Yeah, pretty much. It was definitely um, made you anxious to get out onto the field. <laughs> I'm sure it did. I, I remember we spoke, and I, I, I sensed that. Actually, you told me I can't wait to, to get into a game because, you know, you want to compete. You yeah. want to get guys out, obviously. Um, 100%. What, will, what is going to be the prescription for Chris Wright's offseason, and where are you going to be spending it? So I'm actually going back to school. Um, I only live 15 minutes from Bryant. So I'm living at home and I'll be taking classes and from there I'll just be doing all my off season work uh, at Bryant university because they are, they allow all of us to come back and, you know, do all of our stuff as alumni players, not necessarily an alumni yet, but um, yeah. So I'll be taking some time off of throwing, probably start that back up in November and then uh, I'll be, probably taking two weeks or so off of lifting then get back into that in our strength room. Okay. Um, and yeah, so just building up to, to get to spring training. Okay. Okay. Um, so you'll take two weeks off of lifting and you won't start throwing again until November. Right. Okay. Um, how have you felt, how, how differently does your arm feel after what has to be the biggest workload you've ever had? Um, you know, it's actually, I might sound crazy saying this, but it's almost weird actually having time to, you know, like get a full warm up in before I come into pitch because the entire season, you know, like it's not a secret. I had to run into the bullpen for a half (laughs) inning, get my arm hot, right, right, right. come in and close it out. So, and you're, and you're, you're a player. You might be hitting, you might, you know. You score a yeah. run, you slide in, you slide at the home plate, you get the go-ahead run. Now you got to run out to the bullpen and get ready to close out the game. Yeah, exactly. That happened. We were playing Wagner this season. I was on second base with one out in the ninth. We hit a go-ahead home run. I run to the bullpen <laughs> as fast as I could and closed the game with 
and three outs. And it was like, wow, that was, that happened really quick, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so the entire workload, like having it all the time, the entire workload, have you felt, I mean, cause this has to be the most you've ever thrown, right? I mean, you, you've thrown, yeah. you, you know, through the college season, you threw through your first pro ball season, you, you know, you're throwing, you're not throwing every day, but you're there every day and you're throwing on a, a, a almost everyday basis. Has that, does your arm feel stronger, tired? Um, what, what, how does it feel? Um, I mean, definitely my body is getting tired more so than anything else just from, I mean, I've played 60 games and then pitching more out here after taking some time off. It definitely has taken, you know, a little bit of energy out of you and some strength out of you because you're not able to, you know, get big lifts in or all right. that kind of stuff to ensure that you keep your strength at 100%. So I would say that it just kind of the body gets tired more so than anything else. Okay. So the the big the big question, the big, you know, debate now is – how much guys throw and, and pitches, how many pitches, how many innings. Where do the Giants fall on technology vis-a-vis uh, its pitchers and kind of prescribing for them what to throw, when to throw it, how to throw it, and how much of that is data-related? Um, see, I don't think – we haven't really gotten into too much of the technology stuff yet, but – I do know that the Giants do use a good amount of technology. For a lot of guys, they'll use called Rapsodo and bullpens. It'll tell you spin and velocity and a lot of stuff like that, Um, like break depth and just how far it's moving. And then every single one of these fields out in the Arizona League has a track man, and they track all the data, and they're going to try and use that to tell you, like, okay, this, this is what pitch works in this part of the zone. And this is where you should try and throw this pitch more often. But um, this season, we haven't really gotten into that too much yet, just because, you know, we were at such a low innings count that they didn't really have enough data to try and tell us all that stuff yet. Give me your impression of Arizona. Uh, it's hot. You get sweaty out here real quick. As hell. Um, but, uh, As hell. Yeah. Oh, my uh, God. It is really hot, that's for sure. And, um uh, I mean, it almost has a vibe that goes along with summer ball just because it's like, you know, you're out here, it's hot out here, you're playing four games and then you have an off day, four games and then you have an off day. Right. And it's like you don't really get many, many fans out here, whereas like if you're in short season ball, you'll have a stadium full of people cheering for you. Right. Right. So it really does almost have that same kind of vibe as like a summer bowl, except your performance obviously is extremely important in in your progression and your you know status with the team. Yeah, I mean the stakes are really high now. This is this is the real world. Yeah. Before that, it was you know you were aspiring. Now you're there, and this is your job. Uh, you know, people right. say it's not a job, but it is. It's the way you make a living, and it's the way you want to make a living. Um, and uh, it requires that kind of vigilance um, in order for you to do so. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. So you're going to be up at Bryant uh, throughout the whole winter. And then when do you go back to spring training? Uh, we haven't gotten any of that yet. But uh, I would assume it's February at some, like around February, early to mid, somewhere around there. Not exactly sure yet. 
All right. Let's have a little fun now. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions and I want you to give me your, right. uh, your first, you ready for this? Okay. All right. So we're going to play like, let's play a little word association. So, uh, when I say, uh, Brandon Wolf, first word that comes to your mind. Power. He does hit it far. He yeah. Does. And if you see him in the gym, it's pretty impressive. Is it really? <laughs> that was I, bet. Long. I bet. And, and the best division one piano player in America. Right. There's That's no, for sure. No doubt about it. Right. Uh, no, none at all. <laughs> uh, Mickey Gasper. <laughs> Mickey Gasper. Leader. Yeah, he really is. That's a grown up. Yeah, that guy is a grown up. Yeah, he's a great human being. Yeah. One of my good friends from school. So, yeah. one of the, yeah. absolutely. He, he definitely took us to the next level as a team, that's for sure. Yeah, he can carry you on your back, man. That he can, on his back. He could do that. Um, Holds people accountable, too, which is a really good thing. Right, right. Yeah, Mickey will tell you, you got to get after it. <laughs> he will. He'll see oh, you yeah. get in your face. Oh, that's yeah. great. I love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> So, um, what's the last show you binge watched? Stranger Things. Great show. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah. <laughs> you, you saw the la- you you've seen the last episode? Yeah, that was unbelievable. Do you think the sheriff is in that other cell? Whoa! I never even thought of that honestly but well when they, when they, when they well when they take him down they say not the american the russian says don't take the american they take the other guy right and they put him in the room uh-huh. with that monster and the monster you're obviously <laughs> that i was wondering yeah. you think it could be it's got to be the sheriff because the sheriff's got to come back the guy's great Chief of police, yeah, whatever I mean, he is. He's, he's great. He's probably the most, one of the most important characters in the yeah, whole show. Yeah, it's an awesome show. Scary as hell. I got to tell you, it freaks me out sometimes. And I don't like scary stuff. Oh, yeah. But it is really, it really freaks me out sometimes. <laughs> great show. Um, but it's like, it's like freaks you out in a good way for somehow, some way. I don't know how it is, but it doesn't. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree. It doesn't, it's not disturbing, but it's like, Whoa, man. Eesh, eesh. Yeah. Um, and they're all great. Everybody on the show does a fabulous job. All the actors are great. Winona Ryder's great. Oh, those, yeah. those kids are fabulous. They really are terrific. Unbelievable. Um, so if you're, uh, do you have a favorite late night snack that you like to eat? Um, hmm. Wow. Well, so I go mean, to his, here it is. Late, sure. late, late night, just finished up, tired. You don't care about, you know, if it's nutritious, what's your go-to? Uh, lately, it's been zebra cakes. <laughs> Just like, grab a, a couple, a package of zebra cakes and take, <laughs> eat two of them and go to bed. <laughs> that, and and beverage, any beverage that you, you, you'll drink late at night? Like, No, nah, it's mostly just water at night. Okay. Kinda. Okay. Yeah, right. Make sure we're hydrated for the no, next day. No, I got you. All. I got you. So, you know, sometimes like, you know, it's some guys just like cookies and milk or a piece of cake and milk, you know, chocolate cake and milk. It's like really right, right, comfort right. food late at night, late at night. Um, give me three. All right. Here's the rules. Three dinner guests. They can't be related to you and they can't be alive. Who do you have? And they can't be alive. Wow. Um, We'll go with Roy Halliday. Um, let's see here. 
Oh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I just lost it for a second. I know who I'm thinking of, though. Who's the guy who, um, an actor, really funny guy, committed uh, suicide? I can't remember. Robin Williams. What his name is. Robin, yes, Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. And, I mean, probably Jackie Robinson. I mean, yeah, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good three. That would be an interesting three. And what's your major in school? Marketing. Okay. And how far along, how much further do you have to go? Uh, I'll have two semesters left. So I'll take classes this fall and hopefully next fall and then I'll be all done. Cool. Great, great, great. Um, what is your favorite sound? My favorite sound? Um, I mean, when I was a hitter, it was definitely the wood back connecting square. That is a There's cool a picture sound. now. It's probably just hearing the gloves pop. That is a cool sound. Yeah. Um. What? What would you if if you could go back? If you could go back, this is a more serious question. We'll, we'll, we'll go back here. If you could go back right. and, and talk to like your seventeen year old, you know, freshman, going to be a freshman self, eighteen years old. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you you came up through the travel ball, you know, showcase kind of culture that we've created in baseball. Um, a lot of pressure. A lot of people, you know, prescribing how to do something and, you know, everybody's an expert at, at everything. Uh, what, would yeah. be, what would be the advice now that first-year professional baseball player Chris Wright would give to entering freshman uh, Chris Wright? Um, I would say definitely just, you know, keep it – keep going as long as you possibly can because, you know, when, once you get to this level, like – at any time they could just say like, Hey, yeah, like we don't want you anymore. And just like, enjoy the time that you have playing. Cause when you're younger, you take it for granted. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go and play baseball for however many more years I have. And you know, once you get here, they they even tell you like the teams will tell you like, you know, yeah, stay in the now. There's going to be a point in time where, you know, you aren't playing anymore and it doesn't really hit you until you kind of, you know, people are who are high up in organizations are telling you that. So just, you know, keep keep having fun with it as long as you possibly can. Right. And the chances are that the uniform is going to be taken off of you. You're not going to be taking it off of your own volition. Um, there are very few, Correct. very few Derek Jeters who get to say, you know, I think I've had enough after 20 years. Um, those, right. those are very, very few and far between. Even with an outstanding major league career, at some point the organization or some organization says, "You know what? We're going to part company." I mean, um, so that that's a great, great sentiment. In that, um, it's what I try to tell players all the time: is that you got to stay in the now, address what's directly in front of you, and um, you know, move forward from that, and, and, and don't get too far ahead of yourself, and don't be looking too far into the future. Um, you are. A San Francisco Giant, and so is uh, Brandon Martirano, and so is Hunter Bishop, yep. your teammates. Um, yeah. So I would imagine you didn't have – you pro- did you uh, – you probably didn't overlap for very much because they were sent out. Uh, they're not pitchers. So um, did you see them or um, – and, and I, I, obviously you will see them in, in, in spring training. Uh, but did you have an right. interaction with them being that you're all giants? Yeah. So B Mart was on my team for 
probably two weeks. So that was really cool just to, you know, hang out with him again, uh, throw a bullpen or two to him while he was here, just watching him play again, hanging out. It was pretty cool just to, you know, I mean, it was like nostalgia almost. He, ca- he caught me a lot out, out in the Cape and just throwing it to him again was just like, wow, brings back some old memories. Yeah. And then Hunter, Hunter was only here for about a week and a half or so too, but, and he was on the other team in our league for probably like four games or five games. Uh-huh. But I did get to see him a couple times, not too often, just because obviously our schedules aren't right. Don't line up a hundred percent with the two different teams. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. It was good to talk to him again and, you know, see him hang out a little bit and just conversate, you know, it's yeah. not always about baseball out here. Right. Just right. Sometimes catch you, up and right. all that kind of stuff. Right. You need that time away. Um, that's great. I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys go to spring training. B Martin, I will be spending a lot of time. He's a Jersey guy. He wants to get some work in this winter. So, um, if you find yourself, uh, in the area and you want to come down, uh, let me know. It'll be great to have you. Um, I, I can't tell you, man, how happy I am for you. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know of many guys who uh, worked harder and acquitted themselves better at such a high level when you come out to the Cape, not only as a player, but as a person. And, uh, I just want to tell you how, how happy I am that, uh, you know, you've begun, you've begun your career and, and you're healthy and, uh, you've got the right mindset and it looks like you're going in the right direction. Thank you so much. And I would definitely take you up on that, uh, the offer if I'm down in the area. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You got to come and, um, you know, uh, uh, we, we would love to have you. So, um, we are going to say, uh, bid a farewell to my buddy, Chris Wright. Uh, can't thank you enough. Um, and we're going to let, uh, Freddie Mercury and Queen take us out. Chris, thanks, man. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Love you, Tom. Be well. Love you, Cleo. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.